Welcome to the Daily Boogie. Hello everyone, welcome to another edition of the Daily Boogie Podcast and welcome to 2019. It's good to be back, a couple of weeks off, I'm fresh, I'm fit, I'm ready to go, ready to go over a few topics that are bubbling away on the surface. With an undercurrent of hate and hostility and division and all sorts of terrible stuff that nightmares are made of, according to most people in the corporate press. So. Thanks for sticking with us. Thanks to uh, my Patreons especially. Thanks to the subscribers. Thanks to everyone who's got on board, shared the show, shared it around. I really appreciate you. And I hope you continue on with us in 2019. As I said at the end of last year, uh, regardless of who you follow in politics, I think this year the shit is going to hit the fan <laughs> for everybody. And perhaps we're seeing just an inkling of that in some ways, manifesting right now in the couple of stories that I'm going to touch on today. Like I said, by the way, if you want to become a subscriber of the show, please head over to patreon.com forward slash boogie bumper. If you enjoy the show, hit follow or subscribe on your preferred podcast player. And if you'd like to get in touch, please do so on Twitter at boogie bumper. We've got a couple of stories to get through. I want to talk about the developments today. I don't usually do breaking news stuff. Luckily for me, by the time of this recording, it's not breaking anymore. It's broken. It's already broken. Forget about it. On In regards to Trump's national address. And then I want to get into a bit more of a thinking topic in regards to the future of politics and the future of campaigning. The merging of social media and entertainment and politics to create what some people might describe as, you know, a beautiful catastrophe or some kind of Frankenstein. So Donald Trump earlier today announced that he would be making a national address. I believe it's his first one, the first time that he's done one of these. And specifically, he mentioned the situation at the border. He used the term crisis, which I think is important rhetorically. So he's going to talk about the crisis at the border. And obviously, this has a lot of people guessing that it will lead into a discussion about funding for the border wall, which has been responsible for, you know, at least on the surface in this theatre, it has been responsible on the surface for the government shutdown, which has been a big topic on cable news, print media, and the talking heads all around the place. So let's start with this, a quote from a Zero Hedge article, and as always, any material I use will be found in the show notes. On Sunday ABC's This Week, host George Stephanopoulos asked Smith, does President Trump have the ability, have the authority to declare a national emergency and have the military build his wall? This is Congressman Adam Smith, the new chairman of the House Armed Services Committee. This is a quote from Smith. Well, unfortunately, the short answer is yes. 
There is a provision in the law that says the president can declare an emergency. It's been done a number of times, but primarily it's been done to build facilities in Afghanistan and Iraq. In this case, I think the president would be wide open to a court challenge saying, where is the emergency? Well, what hasn't he been open? What what hasn't been challenged in court that this president has done? I mean, we've got we've got judges in Hawaii who are basically running roughshod over the president's authority when it comes to things like immigration and budgetary budgetary measures. I mean, a lot of people are scratching their heads saying it's completely ridiculous the way the judiciary is reacting to Donald Trump's policy shifts. So I don't I don't think that's any kind of revelation there from the honorable Mr. Smith, but nonetheless we'll carry on. Quote You have to establish that in order to do this. Beyond that, this would be a terrible use of uh, Department of Defense dollars. And I'm glad that the Democrats are now embracing fiscal conservatism. Thanks. Welcome aboard. Pleasure to have you. Um, I was on Trust and Verify last night with my comrade, James R., Real Person Politics. You can follow him at Real Person Politics. And during the hammering segment of Trust and Verify, which you can follow also on Twitter, at TAV Show, uh, I brought up an article from the Huffington Post from a few years ago, which stated, according to a report, 80% of women and girls are raped as they cross the border from Mexico into the United States illegally. There was another report we touched on on Trust and Verify maybe a month or two earlier that said... In October of last year, that's 2018, illegal border crossings by families and children are higher than they have ever been previously recorded. So the Honourable Mr. Smith saying you have to establish that it's a crisis or an emergency. Well, what constitutes an emergency for the Democrats on Capitol Hill? Is it record amounts of illegal entries or is it 80% of women and girls being raped as a result of that? Anywhere else in the world, any kind of population, a refugee, but you want to use the term refugee, let's call them refugees. Let's not even use the dreaded term illegal immigrant. Let's not use the very offensive term of economic migrant, even though we've seen people on the news being interviewed by the very same networks like CNN and MSNBC and the ABC saying, we're not bad people, we're not criminals, we're just coming to America because we want a job. Which unfortunately, according to the UN's own declarations, the UN's own policies, eliminates them from being defined as a quote-unquote refugee in their own words, unfortunately. But even putting that all to one side, just say that everybody crossing the border illegally from Mexico into the United States is indeed a refugee. If the same situation was happening anywhere else on earth, where 80% of a refugee population's women and girls were being raped as they cross borders, the very same Democrats would be calling for heads to roll. You don't doubt it for a second, do you? This would be defined only as an international travesty, a crime against humanity, and indeed an emergency and a crisis. The UN would be having meetings about it nonstop. 
How do we stop the rape of these innocent women and girls crossing this border? It could be in Africa, it could be in Asia, it could be in the Middle East, it could be in Europe. The urgency would be there. Yet, arguably, because it's politically expedient to ignore these quote-unquote facts, even though they're printed in the quote-unquote trusted sources like the Huffington Post, well, we can't have this story getting out. We might have to do something about it. So how hard do you think it would be to convince not only, you know, one judge, but the nation that this is indeed a humanitarian crisis and that enticing people with sweeteners by putting honey on the table is only increasing the veracity of that crisis. But nonetheless, the good Adam Smith unrelated to the godfather of capitalism, as far as I know. There he is saying, yes, of course, unfortunately, the president can declare an emergency. Let's go now to Adam Schiff speaking with Jake Tapper just a few days ago on the very same question. Thank you, Jake. Happy New Year. So um, you, you, you just heard me talk with acting uh, chief of staff Mick Mulvaney. Uh, and one of the things uh, that Mulvaney and I were talking about uh, was the deliberations about the president potentially invoking emergency powers to fund the border wall. Uh, what do you make of that? What do you think? I make of that uh, really threatening talk from the president uh, that he doesn't have the power to execute. Look, if uh, Harry Truman couldn't nationalize the steel industry during wartime, uh, this president doesn't have the power to declare an emergency and, and build a multi-billion dollar wall on the border. Uh Genuine question, what the hell is Adam Schiff talking about? <laughs> First of all, I love Adam Schiff's use of the term threatening language. Oh, this is very threatening language. He's making threats. You see, when the Democrats deliver an ultimatum to Donald Trump, i.e., you need to reopen the government, that's not a threat. That's, that's no, 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 no. But, I mean, what the, what the fuck does Harry Truman have to do with the price of fish in 2019? <laughs> false equivalence, false characterization. He's making a threat. And by saying he doesn't have the power to do he's making, what was it? He, he's making a threat because he doesn't have the power to do it. Yet Congressman Adam Smith, the new chairman of the House Armed Services Committee, disagrees says he, he, he indeed does have the power to do it. Well, unfortunately, the short answer is yes. One of them must be wrong. This is, this is why I find this topic interesting. A couple of people, myself included, uh, I mentioned James R. before, follow at Real Person Politics on Twitter. We've been talking about this. I, James has been more confident than me. I'll give you that. He's been more bullish. I've definitely been... I, I put it in the possibility realm that it was possible that Donald Trump's plan all along is to have the military take care of the wall for a number of reasons. This would explain in part large sections of the military budget, for example. This would also explain why Donald Trump months ago changed the control of the border from one department to another. 
So are we looking here at a problem reaction solution situation? For those unfamiliar with that term, it's also called the Hegelian dialectic, where you want to do something, you have an objective in mind. And in order to fulfill that objective, you can't just come out and do it because people won't be ready for it. They won't accept it. They won't adopt it. You'll get too much opposition. And so it's too difficult. So what you do is manufacture an environment and a situation where you can present the thing that you want to do, your objective, as a solution to a problem which you have precipitated. So hear me out. It'll make sense. So the objective was to have the military build the wall. Now, this is all, you know, this is on the table. This is you know, purely intellectual. It doesn't, it, I'm not saying it's true. I'm saying it could be true. I'm, th- I'm thinking it's definitely plausible. But I'm, I'm not here, you know, trying to give you some breaking inside gossip or anything like that. Just thinking through it. Because we've seen this very scenario, the problem, reaction, solution many times before in different areas. So... The objective is to have the military build the wall. Now, you know if you just send the military down there and start building the wall that there's going to be a lot of anger. People aren't necessarily going to accept it. Perhaps, the you know, the base, Donald Trump support base would, no problem. But you need wider support beyond the Donald Trump support base for such a move. But you want the military to build a wall and turn it into a military installation for a couple of reasons. One, it takes the politics out of it. And two, it makes it very, very difficult for any Democrats who follow in the White House to remove the wall. So you, t- you basically create joint base the wall, becomes a military installation, and then it's very, very, very politically difficult for Democrats to change anything about it in the future. I mean, how long has Guantanamo Bay been opened, right? It's still there now. Remember Barack Obama wanted to get rid of Guantanamo? Good luck. Good luck with that. So your objective is to have the military build the wall and take full control of the border. So... You create a situation where that outcome not only becomes more feasible, not only becomes more reasonable, but you know, ideally you want that outcome to be the only option left on the table. So what do you do? You hand the Democrats an ultimatum that they can't possibly politically agree to. You say to them, I'll own the shutdown of the government but I am not going to sign any kind of spending bill that doesn't include money for the wall, knowing full full well that Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer could never approve funding for the wall. Arguably, the, the best thing for them to do would be to approve funding for the wall. Sorry to go off track for a second, but here's why. If they approve funding for the wall, they can then use it as a weapon against him. Every time one single illegal immigrant comes into the United States, they can say, I told you, the wall doesn't work. Donald Trump got it wrong. We tried to tell you for years and years. You wouldn't listen. This is a waste of money. Anytime there's some kind of confrontation at the wall involving, you know, border guards or the military and quote unquote refugees, they could use those images, splash them all around the national press. See, I told you, 
The wall is inhumane. It is unnecessary. It's leading to violence. It's leading to hatred. We can't have this. It would be an easy kill for the Democrats. But they're either too stupid to see that opportunity or they're too committed. They've painted themselves into a corner too much. And they know that their voters, their constituents, their base will never, ever, ever in a million years accept any kind of consensus, any kind of bipartisan action, any kind of yielding to Donald Trump in regards to the border wall. So they must absolutely and only oppose it. So knowing this, you present the ultimatum, you're Donald Trump, you present the ultimatum to the Democrats, I'm not passing the spending bill unless there's money for the wall in it, knowing that they will never accept it. You let the situation roll on for a couple of weeks over the Christmas break, over the New Year's break, you let it gain steam, you let it gain momentum. You have Democrats out there saying, all of these people aren't getting paid, this is an outrage. You absorb all of the negative press. Until such time when you declare that you're going to make an announcement to the nation, a national address, and then, as Congressman Adam Smith points out, you can declare the border situation a national emergency due to the deadlock and the Democrats' inability to put national security top of their list of priorities, their inability to do some kind of deal, to find some kind of resolution, you are left with no choice in light of the rapes, in light of the record numbers of people flooding across the southern border. You are left with no choice but to declare a national emergency and have the military take care of construction and patrolling of the southern border wall. Problem, reaction, solution. Is that what we're seeing here? Could be. It's worth thinking about. If you want to discuss it, get in touch with me on Twitter. Let me know what you think. At Boogie Bumper. I think it's definitely plausible anyway. Put it that way. The other topic I wanted to to discuss with you today, the fourth dimension of campaigning. This mix between celebrity entertainment, social media, and politics. Some may say a shift in towards the vacuous, vapid, you know, short attention span driven society that we seem to be surrounding ourselves in. And I'm not saying that all social media is bad. Obviously, arguably, that's how you stumbled across this podcast in the first place. But whether it's good or bad, I think this is a topic of discussion, something again that we touched on on Trust and Verify. This is like the Trust and Verify debrief show for some reason, but it's also something we touched on in Trust and Verify last night, myself and James, is that whether it's good or bad or right or wrong or you like it or dislike it, I tend to think that this future, this reality is coming. So I've got an article here from The Atlantic, which is not known for its appeals to conservative values generally. It's a, it's a progressive audience. It's a progressive publication. And this headline struck me, so I thought I'd, I'd dive in a little bit and see what they have to say. Quote, the real political, the political question of the future, but are they real? What happens when live streams become the new fireside chat? Quote, the bully pulpit is getting smaller. 
Open your phone and there's the Democratic rock star Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, the newly elected representative from New York, live streaming on Instagram as she whips up some mac and cheese. Now, it's a video of maybe presidential hopeful Beto O'Rourke pouring a batter of slime with his daughter on a well-lit kitchen island. Now it's Senator Elizabeth Warren who recently announced she would run for president, making straight-to-camera small talk as she pulls from a beer bottle on Instagram Live. Now, of course, the Elizabeth Warren incident, you, you can put that to one side. That was obviously to anybody who, you know, watches live streams, anybody who's in, involved in this area of sort of, you know, underground broadcasting, as, it, as, it, as it, you could argue it, it kind of is what we're all doing here, the kind of underground broadcasting. It's not mainstream TV. It's not corporate media. Anybody with a phone, anybody with a webcam can get involved, basically, and reach a, a large amount of people. But what Elizabeth Warren did was clearly choreographed. Oh, wait, I'm just going to go get a beer. She had to announce that she was going to get a beer, so everybody watching knew that she was drinking a beer. If she was really enjoying a beer while she was doing a live stream, you wouldn't need to make the announcement that you're going to get a beer and then drink it. You know, it's, This is very much an attempt to, I would say, an attempt to appeal to Joe Sixpack. You know Joe Sixpack, who the politicians have ignored for the last 40 years, but now they want to be best friends? Worse than ignored, they've probably hated Joe Sixpack for the last 40 years. There's too many Joe Sixpacks. Why can't everybody be more culturally affluent, more culturally progressive and intellectual about this stuff? But what does happen when live streaming becomes the new fireside chat? I've made this point before. Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez managed to do what the Republicans haven't been able to do for the last three or four decades. She took on the Democratic Party establishment and won. They didn't want her in Congress. They didn't want her on Capitol Hill. And she did it because there is a sense, more than a sense, there is a desire for people to find genuine appeal, natural quality in their elected leaders now. The era of the polished politician with the well-worked and well-routined talking points is effectively over. And if you don't believe me and you're a Donald Trump supporter, then what the hell planet are you living on? Because that's exactly why Donald Trump got elected in the first place. His shoot-from-the-hip blue-collar appeal is arguably what won him the blue wall states filled with steel workers and manufacturing workers, former Democrat voters, people who are sick to death of the slick-talking, polished performer in politics and just wanted someone with a bit of genuine appeal. Maybe a bunch of people voted for Donald Trump th know, like knowing that they didn't like him. Hey, that, you know what? That guy's a real jerk. I don't like him, but at least he's honest. At least he tells you what he's thinking, right? How many people were saying that? Let's not forget here, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez is a first-term congresswoman who now has international brand recognition. Why the hell does somebody in another country like me down here in Australia even know who Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez is? Have you ever stopped to think about that? 
are conservatives turning into her uh, turning her into a celebrity in attempting to try and knock her down and not understanding the appeal of her in the first place very much mirroring how Donald Trump became so popular with people on the right do you see the perceived flaws are actually what the people want Now, you can argue that she doesn't know anything about economics, that she's clueless when it comes to politics, and you could well be right. But what she obviously does understand, by being a person brought up in the era of social media and connectivity, she understands popularity and she understands a genuine, having genuine appeal to people. She took down the Democrat establishment in New York. Remember, the guy she removed, I think, was a 10-term congressman. He wasn't even in New York when the vote results were mentioned. He was in his office in Washington. That's how much he thought of her. It was like Donald Trump all over again for this guy. But she took down the Democratic Party establishment with with a telephone and, you know, mac and cheese in her kitchen cooking, her hair pulled back, no makeup, interacting with people. La-di-da. You might not think it's right. You might not think it's good. And I have some sympathy with that view. But it doesn't mean it's not happening. Now, she's only the first one to get elected from the social media generation. What about the next? And then the next. And then the next. How can conservatives and people on the right fully understand the way that, you know, society is going to shift to this kind of direct interaction, this direct contact with their elected officials? And, you know, people who say it's a bad thing, a lot of them might be never Trumpers and they'll say, oh, it's all Donald Trump's fault. It's all Donald Trump's fault. He's the one that's turned politics into entertainment and content creation. He's the one that's devalued politics. He's the one that's turned it into, you know, a kind of shitty retweet Olympics. But I think that's a particularly shallow view. He's arguably the one that identified the power of this kind of engagement before anybody else did with fantastic results. But to, to, to imagine that nobody in the future was ever going to harness this power, considering that the people who have grown up in the era of social media and connectivity are now coming of age where they can vote and run for office themselves, considering we are now entering that phase of Western society, well, I think, you know, to, de- to deny that it was going to happen anyway would be silly. Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez has successfully hijacked the, you know, the, the new conservative, the new right, the MAGA tendency to meme people, and she's hijacked it to her advantage. What are the, some of the things that the MAGA people have been talking about for the last two or three years? It's oh, to hell with political correctness. Well, last week she came out and defended uh, Rashida Talib, I think her name is, who said we're going to impeach the motherfucker. She said, I'll oh, get over it. Who cares? She said a few, she said a curse word in a bar. Boo hoo. Fuck your feelings, right? 
What happens when the left correctly identify that appealing to snowflake sensibilities isn't going to win them any popularity awards in a society that is governed by social media and edginess? What happens then? Do we think that Donald Trump has some kind of patent or trademark on this style of interaction? Do you think he's the only one that's going to do it that way? The beautiful irony of all this is the very same people like Elizabeth Warren, like Elizabeth Warren, who have spent the last two or three years decrying Donald Trump's method of engagement and communication as uncouth and unpresidential and not worthy, are now going, you're going to watch it in a kind of sad ballet performance with dancers on broken ankles crying for dear life, shrieking in pain. You are now going to watch the same people try to perform the same tricks that they have been denouncing for the last two or three years. Elizabeth Warren sucking down a beer on a live stream, trying to act all natural, like a regular Joe six-pack. The same woman who said Donald Trump's mode of communication is unpresidential and not worthy of his position. The same woman who wants to be president herself. Now, people have asked me, how do we combat this? I don't know. I don't know. That's either something that will be revealed in time or not revealed at all. Maybe the only answer is to do it better. To go harder. Because arguably, the Democrats have identified what made Donald Trump successful is what they need to do, and it's what they're currently doing. And they're doing it more. So how do you combat it? Who's to say? But is this reality now upon us and obvious? Ladies and gentlemen, I think the answer to that is absolutely. With that, guys, it's great to be back. 2019, baby. We're going to keep rolling on with these podcasts. Thanks for listening. Thanks for sharing. If you want to become a subscriber, please hit the subscribe button on your preferred podcast player. If you want to get involved in the conversation, hit me up on Twitter at Boogie Bumper. And if you would like to become a supporter of the show, please head over to patreon.com forward slash Boogie Bumper. Until next time, guys, stay calm, stay rational. God bless. And we'll see you soon. Bye-bye.